Hi, this is Matt Welsh with Spiritual Media Blog, and today I'm here with Nick Bunick, author of Time for Truth, A New Beginning. Nick, thanks so much for being here with us today. My pleasure, Matthew. And your book, Time for Truth, actually appears as if it were two books in one. What was your intent in each of the halves of the book? Well, the first half of the book, uh, I feel, is going to make a major, major um, impact on people from the standpoint of their understanding the two most important questions humanity's asked from the beginning of time, and that is, what is my relationship with God, and what is my purpose in life? And in that first half of the book, there are many, many miracles I share that I personally have either been a beneficiary of or been witness to, and in every case, I give the names of people that were with me and the times and I, I, with only question in my mind, I think that if people who had to read this book who believe in God, it will enhance their relationship with God by two or three hundred percent. And those who are agnostics or atheists, I challenge them to read this book, the first half, and when they're through, not say that they're wrong, that indeed they, they are children of God and that uh, spirit guides and angels do play a part in our life. That sounds fascinating. Uh, your book... It also claims that in the 4th century, the church removed all references to reincarnation, and this has had a devastating effect on people in the world. How did this happen, and what problems has this created, in your opinion? Well, the church wanted to take the position that salvation and redemption could only be done through the church. Basically, they were saying that we are over here on the left, God is over here on the right, and the church is in the middle and that only the church can be the conduit to God. And this is inaccurate. Every one of us have our own relationship with God. And uh, it's it's wrong for the church to have, t- to have um, changed the teachings of Je- Jesus and Paul because 2,000 years ago, Ju- Judaic, the Judaic religion believed in reincarnation, and the early Christian leaders of the church believed in reincarnation. And what happened is that in 523 A.D., the church had called together the ecumenical council, and they passed a resolution saying that from that day on, if anybody continued to preach reincarnation, they'd be excommunicated from the church, and there'd be a, uh, a curse on them. And the church wanted people to believe that we only have one life to live, and that only salvation and redemption can only be done through the church. And it's removed a very, very important part, a very important part of the purpose of why we have reincarnation, and uh, and the purpose of our life, which is to become is to become at one with that part of God that's inside of us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of reincarnation, in your book, you um, talk a little bit, you tell about how under hypnotic regression, you discovered that you were the reincarnation of the Apostle Paul. Would you elaborate on that a little bit? Yes, certainly. Uh, I'm not a New Age person. I never was. My background was that I, I was born in, uh, outside of Boston, Massachusetts, in a, in a very, very poor city, Chelsea, one of the poorest cities in the country. My mother and father never owned a house, never owned a car, never had a savings account. And I was very fortunate. I went to college on a football scholarship to the University of Florida. And I found myself later, years later as an adult. I was basically living the American dream. I I was I, I had a home on a beautiful private lake in, in Oregon where I live now. I um I owned several corporations. And what happened to me, Matthew, is three different psychics independent of one another um told me that my spirit and soul had lived 2000 years ago and had walked with the master. 
And I was taken back from this because I, I didn't have a religion, which even today I don't practice a religion. My relationship with God is a spiritual one. I was finally persuaded by one of the psychics to allow myself to be age-regressed uh, by a very, very professional hypnotist who specializes in that. And over a period of six months, indeed, I experienced the entire memory of the Apostle Paul beginning when he was a child, running through his father's fields and chasing sheep in Tarsus until Paul died in his middle 60s in Rome. Um, and it gave me tremendous amount of information, filled in many, many of the places that were missing in the Gospels and the life of Paul and Jesus. At the same time, there was a lot of places that conflicted with the New Testament, which uh, my information from, from the memory of Paul was that some of the information in the New Testament is not accurate. Once I found this out, I, I didn't want to deal with it for a period of 10 years. I literally and truly didn't want to deal with it because I felt no one would believe it. They would think I was either fabricating the story, Matthew, or that I was insane or whatever. And then beginning on January 14th of 1995, I had the first of many, many, many angelic experiences, which gave me the courage I needed to step forward. Uh, uh, do you mind talking a little bit about those angelic experiences and how they helped you step forward? Well, what happened was I had there were four publishing companies out in New York that wanted to publish the transcription of the tapes of my six months that I went I was in hypnosis. That was 26 hours of tapes, and they wanted to call it "He Walked with the Master." As I said, I, I didn't have the courage to do it. And then on January 14th of 1905, my first angelic experience, they told me one of the many things they told me is the numbers 444 would play a very important part in my life. They said 444 is your spirit guides and angels' way of letting you know that they are in your life. It's their way of like sending like somebody you love that you send a, a greeting card to or you send flowers or candy to. And what happened that very night, I received a phone call from a gentleman who I only met once before in my life. He was Canadian, and he was calling me, and he said he was in Geneva, Switzerland at the Hilton Hotel. And he said, Nick, I don't know why I'm calling you. Something woke me up. I look at the clock. It's 4.44 in the morning, and I don't know why I'm calling you. And that was on a Saturday night cause, because of the difference in time between Geneva, Switzerland, and where I was. The following Monday, I go to my office, and a gentleman by the name of Rick Eckhart standing there, and he has five sheets of paper in his hand, and said, Nick, I, I woke up in the middle of last night. I don't know why, but I felt compelled to get a pencil and paper. And I wrote all these things down, which I don't know what they mean, but I, I somehow know I'm supposed to give them to you. At the top of the page, it had, he, had typed, he had written in his handwriting, 4.44 a.m., and many of the things he had written down were the same things that the angelic, the angels had told me two days earlier. And that, began a, that became a series of events that happened to me many times, as well as people around me, that began to have 4.44 experiences. And once my book was, my first book was, um, was published, in 1997, we received over 10,000 letters the first six months from people. The book was a major bestseller, but the letters people were telling me of 444 experiences they had to the point where they actually created a website called the 444 Forum where people all over the world were experiencing, were sharing their 444 experiences. So that's just one of many ways that the, uh, the angelic experiences. But in my book, Time for Truth, Matthew, I, I, I explain many, many miracles I've seen um, which have no other explanation other than that the intervention of uh, spirit guides and angels in our life as well as God.
why do you think some people have those experiences and other people don't? Or I guess also why is there anything we could do to increase the frequency of those type of experiences? Well, I think some people have these experiences and not even aware of it. Uh, I know for many, many years, uh, my high school football number was 44. My college football number was 44. And when I had my foot, when the angel, when they brought to my attention the 444, the uh, the security system in my house was 444, as well as in my office, as well as my retrieval system, my phone. But I I wasn't consciously aware of it. I didn't I didn't even it hadn't even occurred to me. So I think many people have experiences from their guides, and they're just not they're just not consciously aware of it, or even believe they have guides in their lives who are there to help them, to inspire them, to encourage them. But I think once you do open up that door, once you become consciously aware of it, I think then it becomes the same as dialing a phone number and creating a connection with somebody else you want to talk to. It allows your spirit guides and your angels to communicate with you, and you now have open transmission because you're more receptive to it. How did that transmission or communication occur with you? You said your angels brought that to you. Was that through, like, intuition or thoughts or writing or... How did how do you think they communicated with you or they communicate with us? Uh, well, it's a combi- with me personally. It's a combination of ways. Uh, I'm not clairvoyant. I don't see into the spirit world. But what happened to me is became clear cognizance, which means that they give me information into my mind that I can then retrieve. It's just like if I was to try to think of what I had for dinner last night, I would simply go into my memory bank, so to speak, in my memory, and, t- and be able to tell you what I had for dinner last night. And it's the same thing. They they give me information. I don't. If they were human, which they're not, I would say through mental telepathy. But since they're not human, I, I, I honestly truly don't know how they do it. But I know that they give me information that I can then immediately retrieve from my mind. Uh, even even the way this book was published, the Time for Truth. What happened was my family was out of town. And I was home by myself, and uh, I got awakened in the middle of the night. I looked at the clock. It was 4:44, and I smiled and said, "Hi guys," and went back to sleep because that's not unusual. But the next night, the lamp next to my bed went on all by itself in the middle of the night. And I sat up to shut it off, thinking, what's going on here? I looked at the clock. It was 4.44. I got out of bed. I shut the lamp off, and I got down on my knees, and I said, well, you must have a message for me. And the message they gave me is that they wanted me to write a letter to the president of Hay House Publishing Company and tell them that I had a book inside of me that Hay House had to publish. Now, Matthew, I had no relationship with Hay House. They didn't know me from a home. I mean, I've never had any relationship with them. And I thought, they're going to think I'm crazy. So I sent the letter because I was told by Spirit to do that. And four days later, I got a call from the president of the company. And he said, Nick, write me your first chapter. Well, Matthew, I didn't even know I had a chapter in me. But I sat down and I couldn't stop writing. I wrote three chapters. And when he received it, two days later, he called me on the phone and said, Nick, you got a bestseller. The contract's in the mail. So... So uh, there's right. a lot of interesting things that can happen in our lives. Uh, but as far as how they communicate with me, uh, they also do it through writing. Um, initially, it was writing that I wasn't even conscious aware that I was doing. I would find pages and pages of material in my own handwriting that I had, that I had no idea that I'd even written. Um, I would say profound things like, the rain cannot distinguish need. It falls both in the ocean as well as in the valley. I mean, just wonderful, profound things. And I must have been in a state of meditation because I would find these letters and I, I couldn't remember writing them other than my handwriting. 
but but it's changed dramatically now because now that we've developed a relationship with my spirit guides where I can just put my mind aside, just quiet my mind, and I can start writing, and they'll just give me the words to write just as if I was taking dictation for them. Wow. Can you talk a little bit about how that might relate to your experiences with hypnotic regression? Like, for example, with hypnotic regression, could you talk a little bit about what that process was like? Was it somebody guiding you to past lives, or how does that work? How did that work for you? Uh, I've had I've had a number of different hypnotists since then uh, age regress me, and they basically put you into a, a state of trance where you can hear their voices, but you've put aside your conscious mind, and you're now dealing with your soul mind. Your soul mind has the memories of every lifetime you've ever lived in the past, every one of your lifetimes. It, it is Your soul mind is the memories, the personality, the intellect of your spirit, and your spirit is, is part of God. And basically, you, you go into this trance, and you're dealing with your soul mind, and they direct you to that period of history or that particular lifetime that they want to direct you to that you've already agreed upon. And, uh, and now you basically are, are, t- are answering the questions and having the memories that your soul mind had in that particular lifetime that uh, that you lived in which uh, you are being directed and the questions are being asked by the hypnotist. Um, I, I've, had, it's, I've had some extraordinary experiences on, uh, doing that in which you literally can feel the heat when you of, of the you know being in Jerusalem. If you and, uh, when I was experiencing a lifetime of Paul, you can feel the heat, you can taste the food, you can feel the emotions. It's a one, and they will direct you if they're a good hypnotist that you will not feel anything negative, you will not have any pain, you will not have any bad experiences that you might have had in that lifetime that will you know, impact you today, and therefore they can they can basically can uh, manage uh, the type of questions they have and what they want you to re- what they want you to relate to. Oh, that sounds like a really fascinating process. Was that something that came easily for you? Like, for example, with the first regression, were you able to regress, or did it take a while to kind of quiet your mind and receive those memories? No, I was able to be regressed immediately, and it really depends on the the skills of the hypnotist also. Uh, A really skilled hypnotist uh, will put a person under hypnosis faster than one that hasn't had a lot of experience. And but every person is basically capable of being hypnotized, although some more than others. Uh, some people that have more receptive personalities uh, will go under easier than others that might try to unintentionally fight it or unconsciously. Their minds might be trying to uh, to not allow it to go under because they don't want to give up that give up that uh, uh, control of their own minds. But once you have confidence in your hypnotist and you just relax, it's it's really a very simple process. Yeah, is there, you said some people may have resistance to it. Is there any things that we can do um, to kind of increase the likelihood of having a, a regression? Because I've heard some people, um, it, it takes them a while. Is there anything we can do to speed that process up of receiving regression? It, it really and truly is up to the hypnotist to relax the person, to to convince the person they're trying to hypnotize that there's nothing to fear, that no person has ever, ever been damaged emotionally, intellectually, or any other way on hypnosis, and to give them the confidence just to relax and to follow the instructions of the hypnotist as they take them through a series of different uh, uh, 
different steps in terms of getting them to go under, such as uh, they'll share with them they're standing on top of a stair stairway that's ten feet that's ten feet wide, and it's beautiful night out and the stars in the sky, and now they're going to start walking down the stairs one step at a time. They're going to count backwards, maybe from twenty to one, and each time they're counting, they're going deeper and deeper into a trance. So it's that type of thing, Matthew. Um, and you you wrote about how maybe that process and other things in your book can help us find our our purpose in our life and increase our relationship with God. Would you explain that purpose and relationship and your analogy of the pyramid? Yes. Uh, uh, first of all, everybody has to. I mean, it's important to understand that we are part of God and God is part of us. God's spirit is inside of us, and that's why we are immortal and eternal. We're not human beings who, by coincidence, have a spirit and soul. We're spirits with a soul that are having a human experience. And the purpose in our life is to become at one with that part of God that's inside of us. And I ask people to visualize inside of them a pyramid of a thousand steps. At the very, very top of the pyramid is God and Christ consciousness. And the purpose of our life is to try to climb as many steps as we can during each lifetime till we eventually reach the top and become at one with God and Christ consciousness. It can't be done in one lifetime. That's why reincarnation is so absolutely important. We we might be on step 350 when we're born in this lifetime because that was a step we were on when we passed, when our soul made our transition, when we died in our last lifetime. So we come back on that same step, but we want to climb to that, to get up to the thousand steps. And we do this by by manifesting in our life acts of uh, universal love and universal compassion and living in truth. And as, we, and as we do those kind of acts, which in accordance with God's will, we, get, we, get, we are evolving to a higher level in our own, in our own spirit and, and coming closer and closer to being at one with God. So the purpose of our life is to be at one with, is, is to try to become at one with God. And, um, and when we pass away, just like a child is in the fifth grade and, and June comes and they f- complete their education, they have the summer, they take off, and they come back the next year, fall. They don't come back to the junior in high school or sophomore in college. They come back and start the next grade that they left off at. And the same is true with us. If, if, if we, if the place we were hypothetically was in the 350th step when we, when we became, when our spirit made its transition in this lifetime, when we were reborn again, that's the step that will continue our life and trying to continue to become at one with God and climbing the steps of the pyramid. Yeah, that sounds like that makes a lot of sense. How do you think we can balance finding our purpose of being one with God with trying to fulfill our worldly needs or responsibilities such as paying our bills or taking care of our family and other responsibilities? Oh, I don't think there's a conflict at all. I think that we have certain we have obligations, responsibilities in our life, and while we're, we're meeting those responsibilities in our daily work and our relationship with other people, we just have to consciously be aware of the fact that we should be practicing universal love and universal compassion, which means we should have the same respect and love for for people who are working in a grocery store, bundling a putting bundling or waiting for, waiting on us in a restaurant, as you would for a CEO of a corporation or the president of the United States. Well, I don't want to get Paul Pollock's get that. Let's say or somebody that you admire in a high position of responsibility. 
they are all our brothers and sisters. There's one God, and every one of us are the children of God. Unfortunately, what's happened, Matthew, is in the 4th century, when the Christian church was formed, they made many, many changes. They distorted the message of Jesus and Paul. Uh, they took messages of love and changed the message of fear. Messages of compassion, they changed the message of guilt. And messages that were supposed to bring us together as brothers and sisters, they changed, which created a polarizing people by basically saying, if you don't believe in what we're telling you is, is what you should believe in, God's going to punish you and you're going to go to hell. And many of those things that they create, the church created were totally false. And to this day, they're wrong. And that's why my book is called Time for Truth. I want the church to tell the truth. There is no such place as hell, just to give you one example. Hell was a, there was a dump outside of Jerusalem uh, 2,000 years ago in the Valley of Hinnom that burnt 24 hours a day. It's where the people took their garbage and burnt 24 hours a day. And the Hebrew word for it was called Gehenna. That word Gehenna in English is the word hell. And that's where the church came up with the concept of hell. Just to give you one example of many of the teachings that the church has, his church has been using for the last 1,600 years because they decided when the, when the Roman Empire, when, when Constantine decided the Roman Empire would accept Christianity as a religion, they had 70 million people in the Roman Empire. They decided that it was easier to control the people through fear than love. And that's when they made many, many changes and distortions to the teachings of Jesus and Paul. Jeez, yeah, it's unfortunate, but I think we see examples of that still today. Um, Matthew, we've had 1,600 years of millions of people, millions that have been tortured and murdered in the name of God. And the greatest sin one could commit is to commit a sin in the name of God. And it's time for the church to acknowledge the truth, to ask for forgiveness, and make the changes that, I, that, I've, that I've listed in great detail in my book. And I honestly and truly believe they do, that rather than people being angry at them for 1,600 years of deception, that people will embrace the church and, and, and hug them and thank them for having the courage to tell the truth, and it could make a major difference in the world we live in today. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, in Time for Truth, uh, you also state, and you mentioned this in one of your previous answers, that there is a distinction between the spirit and the soul, that there are two different aspects of us. What exactly do you mean by that? Well, preachers have a tendency, well, they think that the soul and the spirit are the same, and they use, them, they use those expressions simultaneously, spirit and soul, and they're not the same. They're totally different. The spirit is the Holy Spirit. It's that part of God that's inside of us that gives us our immortal and eternal life. And the soul, the soul is the personality of the spirit. It's the intellect, it's the value systems, it's the memories of all the lives we've lived. And the soul is constantly changing where the spirit is, does not change. The spirit is permanent because it's part of God. And the best example I can give you is in our own bodies. If you think of our body as being the spirit and our personality and our memory and our intellect as being, as being the soul. That's the best analogy I can give it's because they are separate. And the soul is constantly changing as we have experience every lifetime. I see, I see. Um, and then also, um, what about like the self? Is, is that kind of like when the Buddhist concept of like self with a capital S, is that part of the soul and the spirit or is it something different? Or I, I really don't know, Matthew. I, I don't have a background in, in uh, Buddhism. 
so I, I really I really can't answer that question. My concentration has been tr- literally on uh, on Christianity, and uh, which represents about 1.7 billion people in the world, about one third of the population in the world, and religion has has not been successful. It's failed us, and and I truly feel that the church is in a unique position, unlike a country. It is, the church has representatives all over the world, and it's the wealthiest entity in the world. There is no entity, institution, or person that's wealthy in the church. And I'm asking the church to acknowledge the truths. And it's time to tell the truth over, over the changes they've made, which have been very dramatic, why they won't let women become priests, why they won't let priests marry, which has caused tremendous havoc, with, with as you know, with sexual abuse of children, not just in the last 40 years. It's been going on for 1,600 years. I'm asking the church to make these changes. And in my book, uh, Time for Truth, I explain in depth with the readers all the changes the church made, when they made them, why they made them, who made them, what was their purpose, and, and how important it is to turn that around and for the church to become the leader in the world of bringing people together from all walks of life rather than saying to other people, if you don't believe in our religion, God's going to punish you and you're going to go to hell when you die. A hell that's fictitious with the church created. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, we really appreciate you taking the time to be here with us today. Uh, do you have any closing comments or remarks for our listeners? Well, the only closing remark I can say, I, I, we had 14 different people or test readers who read Time for Truth, which is basically coming out in the marketplace September 1st, right about now. And every one of these 14 people have reported to us it had a major, major impact on their lives of a positive nature, that it changed their lives dramatically, the material that's being shared with them in Time for Truth. So I want to encourage people to read the book, whether they go to the library to get it or whether they get it off Amazon or in the bookstore, because I honestly believe it will make a major, major difference in their lives once they once they are able to uh, absorb the information that's in, that's in Time for Truth, Matthew. Okay. And I, I want to thank you so much for letting me visit with you today. And I say to you as well as to all, you, all of your people that are that, um, uh, supporters of your website and listen to this presentation, this interview, uh, God bless you all as you continue on your journey. Oh, well, thank you. We appreciate that. And blessings to you and your readers as well.